1: And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. Collide. Oh, wait, wrong show. Wrong show. Uh, my name is William DeBiani. I'm a film critic for the Internet. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name
0: is Whitney Seibold, and you can refer to me the way everybody else refers to me. Your royal sex machine.
1: Yes, royal sex machine, and I are uh, 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 here today. We're gonna be doing our latest in a long line of pilot season shows. Um, <laughs> we're doing like eight episodes this month. Yeah, I uh, yeah, think yeah. nine if you consider the usual cancel too soon monthly movie. We're doing nine episodes in one month. Yeah, so. so- we, we we want
0: a we wanted to spoil you. <laughs> B we have a very ambitious pro- side project, which is a- accounting for most of those episodes. We'll have
1: um, so every episode of Cancel Too Soon this month, in case you haven't noticed, is dedicated to a failed pilot, and this week is no exception, but also we're doing four pilots for bonus podcasts, and everyone gets to listen to them, but only our Patreon subscribers get to vote on which one goes to series, Mm -hmm. and once it goes to series, only our Patreon subscribers will get it. So it's a big, big month of bigness, and (laughs) as always, our Patreon subscribers uh, do get to vote for one episode, and uh, we gave them a whole bunch of pilot Mm. episodes to choose from, and as, as I, I could have set my watch to this, you picked the most painful one imaginable. Well,
0: we always think. We always think you're going to pick, like, the fun, weird one. Yeah. The one with the wrestlers in it. or Yeah, the one like with the, the
1: wrestlers who decide to become cops. Or the one Which is... where John Denver becomes a cop. This or is not... the one where Gene and... Roddenberry, the creator of Star <laughs> Trek, did a paranormal investigation show. All of those sounded neat to us. And you picked the one about superpowered Amish people. Mm-hmm. It's not as fun as it sounds.
0: This is not the first time we baited you with wrestlers and you switched on us.
1: Why? I thought you liked wrestlers!
0: <laughs> anyway, let's let's, uh, let's let's listen to the people for the people. Tonight, on the movie of the week
1: Kim Darby, William Shatner, Diane Barcy.
0: God, it's water, cannonball, but it's the beauty. Are you afraid they might learn how to laugh?
1: Or listen to simply walk like a normal child. They never can be normal. The People. ABC presents the movie of the week. The People. <laughs> so, The People was a pilot episode for a television series based on the works of Zena Henderson. A uh, sci-fi author who wrote a whole bunch of short stories uh, uh, that were kind of loosely connected, not not unlike H.P. Lovecraft. Mm. She had her own sort of inner mythology that connected mm. through a lot of her own work, and a lot of her work was about the people, which was a race of uh, uh, super-powered individuals. We'll tell you about more about the origin as the movie reveals it, who live amongst us. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like wild cards, yeah, Remember Wild Cards? Yeah, that was more like everyone was aware of them in Wild Cards. Yeah, I guess so. Wild Cards was this series of anthology novels that were uh, uh, Jordan, edited by George R. George R. Martin. R. Martin. Yeah, uh, and the idea was that there was this like alien uh, an, an influence, a- like an alien bomb, like hmm. went off. On Earth. It's like a biological bomb. And what it did was it mutated a lot of people, and a lot of people turned into monsters, but a lot of people also got superpowers. And the idea was a whole bunch of different authors would tell different stories about different people with superpowers throughout like the 21st century in this Mm. alternate history. Um, It's actually really cool. It's fallen out of favor. I don't remember the last time I saw it in print, but... It's neat, and I read I, I, a lot of them when I was a kid if,
0: if you go to like conventions and stuff, you can find tables of like wild cards paperbacks
1: right but uh, uh, but Zena Henderson totally mm. I, I haven't read her work, but I did some research on it mm. um, She was a very prominent early female science fiction writer. Her works are very kind of keyed into um uh, at least the the people is. Um, a very religious mindset. And sure mm. enough, uh, she was uh, born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, um, And so what we see is, you know, a kind of a lot of kind similar of kind of... Type,
0: well, Mormon. Mormon allegory. A lot of
1: Mormon allegory uh, here, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in that, but if you'll recall when we did Battlestar Galactica, which was also very much a Mormon allegory, um, there was a lot of sort of interesting corollaries between sci-fi heroism and uh religious persecution yeah well consider
0: how much sci-fi in general taps into a lot of religious iconography you know the, the the notion of i mean you can you can a lot of uh like uh comic book fans have liked to sort of shade jesus christ is the sort of super superhero it's like a superpowered being yeah you could
1: raise people from the dead dead yeah
0: yeah uh Patton oswald has a bit where jesus like tries to join the x-men like i'm gonna go up to the x-men and join the x-men well what can you do well i can raise people from the dead well that's pretty handy you're in thanks thanks, jesus i can also like take a little bit of food and make it into a lot of food yeah why don't you join the avengers they're they're, like they'll let anybody in yeah
1: that was mean (laughs) wow like, I, I don't like I, the, the er example of oh uh, mm-hmm. the Avengers will let anybody in is Hawkeye and Hawkeye is a badass so I always tell everyone uh, to shut their mouth
0: yeah you know what if, you, if you're if you on a team with the God of Thunder you don't need Hawkeye you don't actually don't really need many of the you other need, you need
1: like a stealthy guy though
0: okay a sneaky you, guy
1: yeah he's like a sniper okay yeah he's useful
0: <laughs> Even when you have the god of thunder, well, gonna, like, you don't want to just bash everything with a
1: hammer, you know. Yeah. Like when you have a, a a hammer that controls the weather, mm. everything looks like a nail that doesn't control the weather. So <laughs> you might want a bow and arrow as well.
0: Fair. Anyway, right, we're, we're on a tangent. We're going to do everything we can to not talk about the
1: people because the people, it turns out, is one of the most boring things we've ever watched. <laughs> but the idea sounds really, really interesting. It is about an isolated community mm. uh, in I I. I I don't remember if they said the state, but it's like Utah or North Dakota. Or one of those uh, upper Midwestern states. One of those
0: I states. Yeah. I, Idaho or Oklahoma. But
1: it's it's an isolated community. It's a religious community. They're not specifically Amish or Mennonite or Mormon, but mm. they're clearly playing off of that sort of I, almost isolationist yeah, uh, yeah. iconography. And the idea is and, it and
0: is the, the the living simply.
1: Yes. Yeah. And is the story of a of a city woman played by Kim Darby from True Grit. Or uh, the incredible TV, uh, TV movie, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. She was in Bus Riley's Back in Town. She was in Teen Wolf 2. She was in uh, Halloween 6. She was in The X-Files for one episode. Mm. Kim Darby had a very interesting career. Still going. Uh, but she plays a school teacher who moves into the town. And it's all about her sort of confronting this very unusual community, her judging them very, very harshly, but then realizing that actually they've got it all figured out. Mm. Um, And in fact, all the things that they believe that seem super crazy to her are indeed 100% true. Mm. So in many ways, it's a conversion parable.
0: And uh, it's a conversion parable. It's uh, very much about how a skeptic, and uh, an empiricist, somebody who believes in the physical and the senses, has to come to terms with the supernatural, mm-hmm. which is actually the theme, kind of the only real theme we could really dig out of that Doctor Strange pilot. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's also as boring as the Doctor Strange it pilot It is, what Curiously is enough,
1: I think that's I think that's an interesting idea for a story. Is someone yeah. who is who believes in pure uh, uh, logic and rationalism. Uh, encountering the supernatural and having to deal with it. A great comic book I read once mm-hmm. was called Scarlet and Gaslight. And it was about. <laughs> it's a good uh, title. It's a great title. It was about Sherlock Holmes versus Dracula, but it was very smart. Okay. And one of the cool things was like, I, at the end of. The I actually co-
0: have a book called Sherlock Holmes versus Dracula. It's, it's been done a million times, yeah. but
1: what I liked about this particular version of it was. Sherlock Holmes Encountered A monster Mm -hmm. And like That was the end of the issue And then in the beginning Of the next issue We saw that Sherlock Holmes Had been like rambling like a maniac, like, alone <laughs> like, in how, his how apartment. Does, how does like, this logically fit? Into yeah, like, some, yeah. It, it broke his brain, and then 24 hours later, he emerged from his room completely, completely rational, completely sane mm-hmm. again, feeling pretty good, and Watson's just like, you're you're fine? And he's like, yeah, it took me a while to come to terms with this, but once I accepted that vampires were real, I accepted that there must be a logical explanation for that, too. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> okay, so it turns out vampires are real. I didn't know that. It's just a new fact. yeah. And yeah. now I have to deal with that, and I think that's a really interesting like, way to... I, to handle
0: fantasy i always love in in science fiction stories when they encounter something like fantastical or like just far beyond they say this breaks the laws of physics well the laws of physics don't break it's just you have to rewrite physics now a little bit and learn something new laws of physics
1: look different than what you're used to that's all so like the idea of having someone confront something fantastical and doing it from a religious perspective Mm -hmm. and having them actually like sort of become less secular and mm. uh, and realizing there's something very magical going on in the world. That's a really cool idea and mm-hmm. I was totally down for that and it became really obvious very early on that's where we were going. And, and that's what she struggles with throughout yeah. the bulk at least of the first half. And I would struggle with that too. I mm. I myself for mm-hmm. full disclosure I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um if I found out that there was actually like a a god or some other form of uh mm. deism that was 100% real I would have a hard time adjusting, but I would, because I would, that's why, I, I don't mm-hmm. believe that, like, that, I, this isn't like God's Not Dead, where I'm just angry, it's just like, no, I just don't, I don't see it. So, this kind of story is always very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And yet it's boring, as toast. It opens with... Dry toast. Yeah, okay, Dry so, white real toast. fast, let's, let's get the basics down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this aired on January 22nd, 1972, on the ABC Network. It aired right after Bewitched, and right before a short-lived series called The Sixth Sense has nothing to do with the okay. movie. Um, was The Sixth Sense also a
0: Supernatural-themed show? Yes, I don't it was! It so. a okay, <laughs> Supernatural so,
1: investigation show!
0: So we got Bewitched, followed
1: by the super, people.
0: Superpowered Aliens, followed by Supernatural Investigations. So that was a good block, yeah, if, a- if you're a... Thirteen years old. Very in 1972. well
1: programmed. Uh, it aired opposite the Mary Tyler Moore Show, so it probably didn't do very well. <laughs> oh well. Wow. Uh, it was directed by John Cordy, who had a very prolific mm. TV movie career. In particular, uh, he directed the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, which was a great motion picture. Uh, he directed the first Ewok movie, okay, which was okay. I think the second one was better.
0: <laughs> uh, which one was the one with the castle and the wizard? Was that the first? That was or... the second one. That okay. was a good one. That was a, <laughs> that. That's
1: the good one. That's the fun one. That All one's right. actually really, really neat. The first one is the one with the giant that kidnaps the parents. Yeah, yeah. That's the first one. Okay. Uh, and then he also co-directed "Twice Upon a Time," an animated movie that people do not talk oh, about enough. It's really that's, interesting.
0: That's rattling around in my brain somewhere. Yeah,
1: Lucasfilm. Uh, Produced, everyone knows Lucasfilm for Indiana Jones mm. and Star Wars, but they did a few other weird things. They did, like, the Radioland Murders, which is okay, but not <laughs> great. Uh, and I,
0: they, I like the Radioland Murders. I like
1: it, too. It's just, it's not amazing, but it's, it's fine. directed by Mel Smith. Yeah. A British comedian. He was the albino in Princess Bride. But, uh... They also did an animated movie called "Twice Upon a Time," which was more of an adult-themed sort of fantasy adventure. Um, I mean, not like you know, crazy, cool world, raunchy kind of mm. thing, but just you know, a little bit snarkier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's mostly forgotten, and it's a shame because it's a real fun to watch. <laughs> like, it's a it's a it's a neat movie, and mm. like it hasn't had a oops, not the, the banging the mic, man. Sorry. Anyway, it hasn't had a proper release in a really long time, so uh, it deserves uh, better uh, better than that. Uh, it was written by, the TV movie was written by James M. Miller, uh, who worked on Kojak. He also worked on the Cancel Too Soon series Casablanca, which we've already reviewed. Uh, <laughs> the Powers of Matthew Starr, which we have not already reviewed. We'll, we'll and, get to it. And an anthology series I want to get to at some point called Nightmare Classics, where they just adapted classic horror movies, or Perfect. classic horror novels. They did that on the radio a lot. Yeah. So that's really, really cool. Um, and uh, also, this is not for nothing. The show was executive produced by Francis Ford Coppola. P- Pre-Godfather. Just pre-Godfather. Yeah. This, this uh, show came out in January 22nd, 1972. Mm-hmm. The Godfather came out in late March 1972. If this had come out in the first week of April, mm-hmm. all the advertising would have been Francis Ford Coppola's The People. All of it. Do you
0: think that Coppola, like, he had this. Mm -hmm. He knew that the TV network was going to release it. And he kind of knew it was a stink burger, So he thought, we better get this out before my movie, which I think is a lot better. I
1: suspect what probably happened, because again, this was an ABC movie of the week. Mm -hmm. I suspect this had been done for, like, the previous season. Mm -hmm. And this is just one of the many things they had in their back pocket just to fill programming Mm -hmm. time. But I don't know for certain. I can't say he's probably glad it did come out before The Godfather. Because, I mean, he only executive produced it. He didn't direct it. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. So The uh, the People opens with Kim Darby. She's on a bus. Mm Mm-hmm. And apparently they either cut the opening scene for time, or they forgot to give her a backstory, so they did it all in voiceover. And so we're hearing her like argument with her boyfriend. I've, I've seen that in movies and TV shows before. I've seen it, it, it done been, well. It
0: could have been scripted that way. It's just done badly here. It's that's done all.
1: Unreal, we're badly. So just see Kim Darby in a bus, and you're just watching it, and mm-hmm. you're waiting for something, anything to happen. And then it's just Kim Darby saying, oh, I, I, I've taken a job. And the boyfriend's just like What? I thought we were dating And she's like No, I gotta go job And you boyfriend's gotta, gotta just cart- like Well, I want my stuff back Well, we you want your harmonica? No, you keep the harmonica Oh, that'll be important later Thanks, ex-boyfriend but, but, <laughs> Thanks for writing in that putt point mm. um, she's, uh, she's very lonely
0: She looks afraid She, uh even though Kim Darby, you know, was an adult, she looks very, very young. She looks like she's around 15. Yeah, she always uh, so had that
1: very youthful look. Yeah, yeah. so
0: she, she looks really kind of inexperienced, and she's moving out to the middle of nowhere, clearly having been burnt by the big city in that opening scene. like she's she just re- Well, she's escaping. Yeah.
1: She says she and... wants to, like, try to find herself. The quiet mm-hmm. and the solitude will be very, very nice for her. So but this... she is indeed bringing a lot of her baggage with her. Wouldn't this have
0: idea. made more sense if, if it was an older character, like somebody in their 50s? Who had lived in the city a long time and who like had just lost something. Uh, I know that's a bit of a cliche. No, well
1: that is a cliche because it works. Yeah, <laughs> when you when you have someone who is running away from something, if it's not super specific, mm-hmm. um, you want someone who has like some 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 with some experience on yeah. them. So like you're someone who has lived in the big city their whole life and they're sick and tired of it or they had like midlife crisis of mm-hmm. some kind and they go. So when you have a very young woman. We don't really get a sense of what she's yeah, running we... from, why it's important to her. She just comes across as somewhat meek as a mm. personality, which actually very, doesn't tra-
0: very much so. Which
1: actually doesn't track later because she actually starts getting very assertive as a teacher. Mm. So it really doesn't work. She goes. Uh, she, she's on a bus. She's going to the town of Bendo. Just <laughs> an odd name for, for anywhere. I could
0: only think of Bender from Futurama. Of course. Like, I'm going to the town of Bender Bendo, and it's all, it's just like a hundred benders are there. Yeah. Uh, go on in, meat bag, have a drink, you know that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Enjoy our daffodils. <laughs> <laughs> Bite my shiny, hey, daffodils. Um, <laughs> um, she, is, she is in true, like, Dracula fashion. She is not let out in town. She's let out on the outskirts of town. Mm. And then someone from the town bus driver picks doesn't drive
0: through Borgo Pass. Oh,
1: we don't. Yeah, we don't go through Borgo Pass. Mm. So, like, a lot of the opening of this is set up as sort of a warning signs, like right. beware of Bendo. And so they don't drive through town. The person who picks her up is in like a rattly ramshackle truck. She ends up going to stay at the house of this old couple who, when she's not looking, burn her Vogue magazine as if it's some sort of horrifying contraband and lie to her about
0: it. Connection to the outside world. That's where the Amish stuff comes in because they they live... Uh, yeah, they, like, they don't have buttons, they don't mm. have any technology, they don't have any telephones, they're completely isolated and live in this really kind of simple, well-drinking community.
1: Right, and and for a while, the people is obviously trying to make us think that that's rather sinister. When we mm. meet the children of the town as they come to the uh, big schoolhouse, mm. uh, they don't pick up their feet when they walk, they shuffle. Mm. And... Kim Darby immediately, like, zeros in on that as they are oppressed. Yeah. And that they're not allowed to, they're they're being forced to be sad and mm. isolation as they reject other ideas. No, they, they,
0: they don't laugh, they don't smile, they don't look up. Mm. Yeah, very, There's a whole very montage
1: timid. of her with these kids trying to get them to do things like... Play tetherball and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, anything, play, in any mm. conceivable fashion. And they won't do it because it is It's, like, frivol-
0: frivolous and a waste of time, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, and you see her get increasingly frustrated, and assume that she has come to this town mm. where people are actively oppressed, and that it is her responsibility as a forward-thinking, mm. presumably West Coaster, well, also to to fix them.
0: Th- this is uh, kind of a comment on the way uh, education for children was going in the early 1970s. There was this big sort of revolution at the time as to uh, you know moving schools from kind of a, a corporate. Memorization mentality to more of uh, uh feelings and talking and and mm-hmm. conflict resolution, diplomacy type mentality.
1: Absolutely, which yeah. is a which is a very effective way to teach in a lot of oh, ways. absolutely! It's, it's not about rote memorization; mm-hmm. it's about learning how to think and there's, process and I f- interact.
0: I forgot who the educator was, but there's a really great quote: uh, "It's it's not how smart the child is, it's how the child is smart." And uh, that th- th- that was kind of like this big re- uh, revolution like, in education. Like, I've seen I, in- I went to one of those elementary schools. Where I've
1: seen elementary schools. Well, but my parents were both. Uh, educators. My mm. dad was uh, in administration. My mother was a elementary school teacher and then a vice principal. Mm-hmm. And. I've seen it go too far in both directions yeah, where yeah. Uh, the rigidity of trying to teach basically how to take the test so the school looks good mm. ultimately ends up bas- making not the teaching children... teaching the kids anything. Yeah, they yeah. learn how to take a test, but they don't actually learn any valuable skills mm. for, for... Not or, even just skills, but just... Or even ways facts, pro- really. They just, valuable ways to process information yeah, and yeah. to deal with things uh, logically. But I've also seen people try to take it too far in the other direction, and then there's no structure, and then ultimately the kids mm. don't end up with the facts or the math either because... Mm. They're allowed to just go wherever their mind takes them, and we do need some structure. So finding a balance is tricky. And I'm actually like, again, conceptually I'm on board with everything the movie is giving us so far. So Mm -mm. first off, you have a story about... A teacher who's trying to teach kids Who are very set in their ways already Even though they're young And they should be open to new ideas She is young she's idealistic And she is going up against A very uh, conservative uh, Oppressive older generation Yeah, that's thing. a great idea for I've seen that I've seen that a hundred times that, that's, And it's usually good Like that's It's a good setup mm-hmm. On top of that We've got the Dracula thing Where there's all these little things That are wrong with the community Everyone kind of warning her About the town of Bendo And you're just like Ooh, how's, is this going to be Like a Wicker Man kind mm-hmm. of deal is she going to be sacrificed, <laughs> and you've got the whole uh, uh, religious iconography, mm-hmm. which they eventually like subvert and show that all these things mm-hmm. that we were treating as ominous were actually, if not good, then at the very least there was actual like an explanation. There was an explanation. There was a rational explanation for all um, of it. So all of these and there, things are great.
0: There's also we also have a, a, a handy bridge character to sort of remind her that like she's not in some alternate dimension. There's the world is still out there. Yes. in the form of. William Shatner, Shatner
1: <laughs> making his second appearance in pilot season. You might remember him from Alexander the Great, and now he is not only mm-hmm. in the people. He is reteaming with Kim Darby for the first time since they were in an episode of Star Trek yeah, together. They were in Mary, yeah. Which was she, a, she was Mary, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were. Uh, it was the episode. Uh, Often on Star Trek they would in the original series mm. they would go to a planet where everything was like a thing. Everything looked a lot like
0: a set they had on the CBS lot. Yeah, so they would and, go to uh, like
1: a cowboy planet mm. and in this one they went to a planet where all the adults died. Like you hit a certain age and a you disease. Got, you get you got them. like
0: a scab disease and yeah. Uh, but the the kids age very slowly, so these are like 300-year-old kids running around in this yeah. post-apocalyptic wasteland.
1: They actually do some interesting things in that episode, mm. but the idea is feels very cheap. Well, and and it, it becomes really
0: unsavory after a while, because they have to convince Miri that growing up is actually okay, which has been vilified, and they try to make her feel more womanly, essentially yeah. by having Shatner make eyes at her.
1: Right, and, and, and it's again, really, her, character really is, gross. her character is older... <laughs> But the function of it is actually it's, really super gross. Yeah. But the, I do appreciate that they don't push a romance between them here yeah, because yeah. she does still look way too young for him. Mm. And he plays a doctor who, uh, and a veterinarian who, help, who basically makes the rounds in every local community. And what he's discovers is that the people of Bendo never get sick and mm-hmm. indeed there was even a plague of the livestock and none of the livestock in Bendo was affected. Mm. So he is actually kind of fascinated by them and although he finds them their ways kind of odd, he appreciates that they must be doing well, something right.
0: He he's really open-minded, he's very cheerful, he's mm-hmm. really energetic. He's Shatner actually plays like a really warm, interesting character. I
1: like Shatner's a yeah. guy who again He's handsome, he's Hmm. got a certain charisma. I think a lot of people wanted to immediately throw him into leading roles. When he's in a supporting role, he is so much better most of the time. Because he just comes in, injects some energy, has some fun, and then he's out, and people who maybe have a less hammy kind of acting style. Right. I'm not even insulting him. That's just his acting style. Well, I mean, he's at least a little theatrical.
0: For goodness sake, look, look at
1: Kirk and Spock. That, yeah. That's a good dynamic. Exactly. Right. So here he's he's really, really good and he injects some levity, which you need because I've been talking about all the things in this show that kind of work and seem good on paper. This is like Manos the Hands of Fate-level boring. It doesn't... All of this stuff is going on,
0: but it's not presented in any sort of engaging or interesting way, and it's really, really slowly paced. Yeah. So little tiny bits of information are thrown to you, not in a mysterious sort of way, it's just like They a, should
1: be mysterious. There should be, like, ominous music, like... Yeah. Dum, dum, dum. Oh, okay,
0: let's burn her Vogue and not tell her about it. Okay. Hey, Ooh. where's my Vogue? It's like, you know, <laughs> like Randy has it. No, I, I don't know what... Uh, what I'm supposed to be feeling in that moment, because, yeah, there's no cue for me. It's just, okay, they just turned a magazine. That's kind of mysterious, is this supposed to be ominous and there's no
1: like there's there's not a real sense of place like the sparseness of Bendo Mm. is kind of the point but at the same time you can go too far with that and ultimately it feels feels like they all
0: live in a field
1: it feels like they all live in a half made up sound stage whenever they're (laughs) indoors like it doesn't feel like a place people live in and there's a difference between we've all been to like houses where like people have a sparse aesthetic and like everything super tidy and clean Mm. you do get the impression that someone lives there these feel like Like sound stages that weren't made up. Yeah. Like there's a lot of just blank walls Mm. with a painting, and it's not shot Mm. very interestingly. Now again, I think uh, um, what was his name? Uh, John Cordy. I think he actually ended up becoming a very good filmmaker. This is one of his early Mm. uh, films, and the material obviously like it feels like they're padding it Mm. to hit this like TV movie length. (laughs) This is like a forty minute episode that got stretched to two two hour pilot. yeah, Yeah, it's real fucking thin. So. She starts teaching the kids. It's almost impossible to teach the kids. And then she and, and runs they keep, into... They keep
0: dropping weird uh, code words, like slang from their own community that she doesn't quite understand.
1: Yeah, I remember the home. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the home. The home is bad. You're not supposed to talk about the home. Mm. And she's just like, taking notes might be important later. The home,
0: what is that? Hmm.
1: She befriends uh, one of the more rebellious kids, a kid named Francher. Uh, Francher is kind of interested is in it the
0: outside f- world. Francher or Frencher? Francher For with an A. I believe it's with an A. Because they, kept, uh, I thought they were calling him Frencher. There's a lot of that. And, and I, yeah. <laughs> um, I was wondering, is this some sort of comment on his on his uh, his kissing style? Oh, re- shut re- up. remember when we used to call it Frenching? <laughs> <laughs> we still do.
1: It's just not. We didn't have to call in it anything anymore. Third grade, we call it yeah. that. Uh, it's Francher. Francher it is with an A. Yeah. Uh, He's the one of the more rebellious kids. He's more interested in the outside world. He actually hangs out with the teacher before and after school, mm. um, and she starts encouraging him because here's a kid who obviously like is kind of frustrated with where he is and wants mm. more. She gives him the harmonica her boyfriend gave her off camera, but we had a voiceover, so now we know it's important. Mm. And no, it, was, we, it
0: was on camera. No,
1: we didn't she said, see. She, she gave him
0: a box. No, and, no, no. And like the boyfriend. Like, oh, the boyfriend gave her the Oh, the boyfriend, camera.
1: yeah. Yeah, she gives Francher the thing on, on camera. Yeah, he says, okay. Here's, here, I know you're not allowed to have music, but you seem cool. Here's a harmonica. Mm-hmm. And he's like,
0: okay. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to play it, but thanks.
1: And then we see him, actually, he's playing the harmonica for, like, the other kids in a field, and they're having, like, serious mm-hmm. discussions, like, you know, what's Vietnam? And, like, <laughs> you know, like, really starting to question, uh-huh. you know, their, their lives and whether or not they should rebel. And Kim Darby is, like snooping on them from the bushes which is kind of weird where else is there to hide there's no set there's
0: respect <laughs> like a convenience store nearby a burger joint across the street no it's just just a field she, she finally <laughs> lurking wa- through the weeds she
1: finally walks up on him and everyone runs away but she makes Francher stay behind mm-hmm. and, it's, and he's like well you gotta tell me all the stuff and he's just like actually everyone's psychic and it's weird and she's like that's bullshit you're a bad kid <laughs> I'm paraphrasing and and then turns out he, we're all wouldn't it be
0: great it turns out we're all psychic oh, bullshit come on kid tell the truth she
1: basically tells him he's, he's making he's all everything you believe is superstition which is actually a really shitty thing to tell anybody mm. just like yell it like that
0: well and, you know with Shatner nearby he, he yelled that a lot on Star Trek <laughs> remember and, remember to respect other cultures your bible is a lie <laughs>
1: So she's telling him everything believes is a lie And he's like, no, everything's real And she's like, it's not real And then the kid makes her levitate ten feet up in the air Uh And runs away And she's just like, what the f What the- (laughs) Huh? And then Dan O'Herlihy The boss from RoboCop and RoboCop 2 (laughs) Shows up as one of the leaders of the the community And he stretches out his hand And his Mm. hand glows like E.T. Like ten years before E.T. And then she, un, you know, unfloats, and then she says, this is weird, I must have just been hypnotized. And Dana Hurley, he's just like, I don't know how we can make this any clearer. And then she <laughs> runs away.
0: and But then they have to reestablish and continually reestablish that that is indeed what's happening. Yeah. And then there's a big exposition dump, like the beginning of the Alan Smithy cut of Dune, where... <laughs> We just get this really long explanation as to what exactly is happening. Yeah. Turns out they're space aliens from Zeist. And uh, <laughs> that's a Highlander 2 reference. Nice. and A, uh, a
1: theatrical cut of Highlander 2 <laughs> reference. Not even, the, not, not even the one you saw. Yeah, th- that that theatrical cut is not available on home video anymore. Really?
0: It's gone. Oh, it's out of print. That's yeah, it's not on
1: streaming. The it, DVDs are hard to find. But like, it's in my brain. Oh, I know. I have it in my brain. So finally, like she, so what happens is Kim Darby finally just says, okay, here's what I'm going to do I'm mm-hmm. going gonna to trick the kids. And I'm going to have them do uh, an assignment in which they all draw pictures of home, what mm-hmm. they think home is. And then it turns out all the pictures are basically an elaborate backstory for the people showing that they came from an alien planet. They flew here on a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. The flying saucer crashed. The people were scattered all over the world and that all throughout history stories of things like monsters or witches or angels were actually the people mm. and that the one time the people actually tried to reveal themselves to the world it they caused, were persecuted the salem witch trials salem witch trials yeah. or like the persecution of jesus christ or, mm. or all of that it's basically the story of nightbreed <laughs> more um, or less yeah and so now they live in isolation and now they're only just now Starting to consider the possibility of reintegrating into the world, which is one of the reasons why they brought an outside teacher here and why they were trying to like slowly reveal themselves Mm -hmm. to her so she didn't panic and freak out. Um, And that makes a certain degree of sense. Like, Mm. I'm kind of, I I understand that. Like, and then uh, uh, she decides to have a weird musical number.
0: Well, music is forbidden, so she says, hey, well, well, she says, hey, you know, I'm going to close the door to this schoolhouse that looks like a, a set with no ceiling, and I'm going to say, this is a safe area, and you can use your superpowers in here. And so she has them sort of float around the room for a little bit. Well,
1: oh, it turns out the reason that they shuffled their feet was because they were afraid they would fly no. if they, like, bet jumped around at all. Or remember, kids,
0: remember, kids, shuffle your feet, otherwise you'll fly. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, she says that uh, I'd like you to open up a box in the back of the room and get the instruments out. And then there's like something out of Mary Poppins. All of a sudden,
1: happens. Oh, where uh, uh, a bunch of bedknobs and broomsticks. <laughs> we're we're in <at> sub <laughs> okay, Poppins. We're, we're and Mary Poppins. not. I love Pop- bedknobs and broomsticks. It's sub. mary It's Poppins.
0: it's under Mary
1: Poppins. <laughs> yeah
0: this really goofy bed knobs and broomsticks bit where like instruments fly out of the box and start playing themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it says, how about the kazoos now? And a bunch of kazoos clearly on fishing wire are hoisted (laughs) out of the the box and they bounce around in the air and they play. How do you play a kazoo without a voice box in it?
1: With powers.
0: Look, look. Powers. (laughs) They have powers. They have powers. You can maybe like psychically force air through a clarinet and push the valves. Yeah. You don't necessarily need a human lung to do that. Okay. A kazoo requires a human voice to reverberate against the wax paper membrane. Or you need powers to reverberate
1: <laughs> against the wax is, paper is, membrane. Is he channeling
0: sound particles from sure. other places and pushing them through
1: the kazoos? Yes. So then it makes sense. Fine. <laughs> and then what happens is the adults in town hear all the commotion mm. and they in the door and Francher panics and falls and breaks his fucking neck yep and then well he's, he's upside down he's upside down he, he, he's, floating he's, at the he's time he's floating
0: and he says hey look I can float and I can float upside down isn't this fun and yeah. cl- cl- um, cl- clearly the kids in all of the floating scenes where the kids fly they look terrified <laughs> Like there's a young girl. This like is a safe
1: special effect.
0: Yeah, there's a young girl who has to like float around in a field at one point. She's clearly hoist, hoisted on this big cable that's like on a crane or something, and she looks like she, she's afraid of her death. It's Fair just, enough, it's, it's, and it's, I would be too because I don't see a net there yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. However,
1: I will say this for better or worse: those scenes of them flying in the woods actually look cool. Well, like just up against the windy trees. Right. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like they're like, you know, floating around on a soundstage somewhere. They're really high up in like ooh. a really gorgeous location. And you get a couple of interesting camera angles there ooh. that really just kind of sell the wonder of it. Like I see a YA novel cover, like a painting of some kid
0: standing in a glade and a glowing girl <laughs> way above his head. Yeah,
1: like Tuck Everlasting 2. He flies! <laughs> like, woo! Uh, there actually was a Tuck Everlasting 2, wasn't there? Oh, was there? Tuck still lasting. Wasn't tuck, there like a t- Tuck? T- tuck is still alive. Keep going, Tuck. Um, <laughs> keep on trucking. Keep on tucking. Oh, God. <laughs> um, in any case, Francher like, hurts himself. And then it turns out he's psychically connected to like his sister, I think. Mm-hmm. And so if he's injured, so is she. Kind of like the Corsican brothers. And so when they bring in William Shatner, and they have to finally explain what the hell's going on to William mm-hmm. Shatner too. Like William Shatner ends up mm-hmm. having to perform surgery on Francher while his psychic sister or cousin or whatever explains what he's feeling because Francher is unconscious mm-hmm. which is actually kind of cool it's a it, neat, it's a it, neat, I wish it was filmed more interestingly but it, yeah. it's it's it sucks that it's like the last thing in the show this feels like this should have been in the middle like yeah. cuz this the pacing on this is fucking dead because we have all <laughs> these things that are just kind of shoved into the end there's this whole thing about sort of this war to be like the number one old lady there's, like, an old lady who's in charge oh, of things, God, and she's just yeah, like, they're, they're, I believe fear should guide us. And then there's a younger woman. <laughs> yeah, I believe in fear. There's a younger woman played by the great Diane Varsi, who really should have had a better career than she had. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Compulsion. She was in Peyton Place. Uh, and here she plays Valency, mm-hmm. who has all the superpowers you can possibly have. And she's young, but she's still in contention to be, like, the number the one old. The matriarch. Yeah, the number one old lady in the town. And that she basically just says, yeah, well, we're not. Doing that Theme of the movie And old lady's like Oh shit I didn't know Theme of the movie <laughs> Yeah Theme of the movie And old lady Walks away mad And valentine's just like <laughs>
0: Project the call from <laughs>
1: <laughs> So like She takes over everything It all turns out Basically okay And uh, uh Kim Darby decides She's gonna stay And mm-hmm. teach the people And hooray I guess And they have a big party And by big party I mean a small picnic it's a low-budget movie. And they have corn. <laughs> and yeah. <the> end. <laughs> <The> end. <laughs> um, does that sound like a great series to you? Um, a
0: 30-minute series. If you take this to series, you make it 30 minutes. This needs to be a
1: 30-minute kids show. Yeah. About a teacher teaching super-powered kids. And you can even do that in just sort of like... Oh, a, a frontier call. mentality, yeah, this isolated community. It doesn't like, have to could be wacky,
0: s- Croftian sort of stuff. It no. can be, yeah, like like Little House on the Prairie.
1: The only way I see this show working is kind of like Little House on the Prairie mm. or, or the main idea is she's trying to teach the kids something about the world, they misunderstand it, powers, hijinks, mm. etc. Um, it's funny that both this and Battlestar clearly have a Mormon tint and both of them had like the psychic kid's yeah, thing yeah, that eventually yeah. like took over and kind of became the most dominant idea mm. even though there's a heck of a lot else going on here now, like you could have done so many things with just city woman conservative community ultra conservative community mm. very religious community even though she accepts their ways there's always going to be a bit of a divide there and superpowers Man.
0: um in the, the mid to early to mid 70s, the X Men kind of had a big resurgence. They were invented in the early 60s and they were just sort of just floating around they in were not, subcultures. They, but they were, were not
1: popular until Chris Claremont came on, rebooted the series, introduced Wolverine, mm-hmm. who was already an existing character, but made him an X man mm-hmm. introduced Colossus and Storm, yeah, yeah, yeah. made it a really interesting series. So that.
0: there was a, a period in history where the notion of like super-powered teenagers mm-hmm. became a really big part of the consciousness. And, and, and to her credit, oh, uh,
1: uh, the author of these stories, uh, Zena oh, Henderson, kind of predates even, like, the X-Men stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah like, well, so well, she, she was doing so this she, first. So she
0: was doing the, like, kind of spearheading it. But yeah. I'm wondering what was happening in the 1970s that they felt like, you know, Galactica 1980, this one, the X-Men, what it was about superpowered teenagers that was really kind of on people's minds. And I think... It's, you know, if you go back 20 years, it's sort of like the 20-year nostalgia cycle. Mm. You go back 20 years, the people who were teenagers in the 1950s came up in this post-war era when uh, teenagers were uh, becoming very, very vilified. Mm. They weren't really aware of the previous generation's angst through World War II. Mm. It, everything was really great. They, you know, Thanks to car culture, they were going out and causing trouble on a wider scale than ever before. Mm. And the whole notion of the juvenile delinquent became like really de mm. And I'm guessing people who grew up being told by the media at the time from all these JD films that they were seeing at drive-ins... And you know, going out and drinking and having sex—that they kind of internalized that. That the, there was this bigger generation divide than ever before, and that the newer generation had more powers than the previous generation but that was that, trying to keep them down. That so happens I'm guessing every this every ten
1: so... years or so. Like we're it seeing that our... now with like the millennials. Like, yeah, oh, the just... millennials. Oh, they're so I, uh, they're they're so know, horrible. But... They're sensitive and they don't buy diamonds and houses. I, I just <sighs> like I just keep seeing that. Like millennials sound great. <laughs>
0: The millennials are, are killing the blank industry. Well, that um, industry
1: sucked, probably.
0: <laughs> millennials are killing the killing industry. Think about that. Ooh, um, ooh. I know. There's the that little political there. Ooh,
1: yeah. Um, you think
0: there, but I think the uh, the superpowered teens we saw in the 70s are a direct correlation to JD films of the 50s. I think there's.
1: I think there's um, said that, but I think the yeah. people is actually interesting. I love talking about the people. Mm. It's watching it that I hate. <laughs> The people The concept
0: is fine The The execution sucks
1: The concept is neat And in fact I would love to see Someone tackle Zena Henderson's Uh Uh uh, Material I I haven't read her stuff I kind of want to now Yeah Like I'd love to see someone Tackle her stuff Today Maybe as a TV series Maybe Mm. some other thing But like What we have here Because you're talking about People sort of being paranoid About you know A young culture coming in And destroying everything Mm. This And that's something That is very cyclical Yeah Very cyclical we see that every 10 years Or so It's a new one Um But specifically in The People, this is actually about telling kids who aren't destroying everything that it's okay to. Mm. (laughs) This this isn't about being scared of those kids. This is about, hey, kids, you're being held back by your parents... Well, you e- actually even those, have the power to do better and more interesting things and change the world, and maybe you should.
0: Even most of those JD films, you know, a lot of them were like moral. By J.D., fables. you're talking about juvenile juvenile delinquent films. films, yeah. 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 The, they they were geared like for the, the wild ones. Yeah. They they were geared for the youth. And we were meant to see these characters as really cool, even if there was a stupid moral message at the end, how they come to ruination somehow. Yeah. Uh
1: they they so were a very but, mixed so message. So they, they were
0: yeah, they were trying to please both audiences that had completely opposite viewpoints and those movies all suck as a result.
1: <laughs> They don't all suck. There's some good there's, ones, but there's usually there an inherent a f- irony. A
0: few good ones, but there's. Rebel Without Fistfuls. a Cause
1: makes James Dean oh. look amazing, and it is a fucking tragedy. <laughs> it's not good. It's no, not good. What no, happens no. in that movie? But it's so he's so poor, cool. He became an poor icon. Poor Mineo. Oh, I, poor everyone in that movie. I, I got
0: to write an essay on Salminio. That guy is so great. Oh,
1: I know. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was great at great fucking actor. Yeah, yeah. Everyone and, in that movie is great.
0: And and every and I I got to sort of. I found this really great interview. where He's very pragmatic about his career, how, you know, he, he was young looking, but he feels that it was just because he was too Italian in his own words mm-hmm. to get roles. Like he was too much of like a Jersey boy. He was and really that, Italian. And that type just fell out of favor. And that's why he lost work. It had nothing to do with his youthful looks and nothing to do with his sexuality, which he was always very open
1: about. Uh, relatively. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, for the time. Yeah. So yeah, and it's like
0: like in this interview, which was like later on in his career, like I think even like short, a few months before his, his murder, he. Uh, He he talked about how it's like, well, so do you think you you say you call yourself bisexual? Was that did you think that cost you work? He's like, no, that got me work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and look around. Everybody was supposed to be by. You know, Brando's supposed to be by. Paul Newman's supposed to be by. I actually am, and I got work out of it. It's like, oh, good for you, Salminio. What an awesome dude. Ah,
1: awesome, man. <laughs> if you haven't seen Rebels at mm. a Cause, you really, really Rebel should. Thetikos. But Salminio, all of his work was cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, the people is just good ideas badly executed. <laughs> Bad. Uh, yeah, not,
0: not interesting characters, yeah. not interesting dialogue. The the scenari- like the germ of a good idea, like on the page, in like the pitch, in that mm-hmm. little capsule, that's really interesting. But the the script is bad. The music by uh, one of the Coppola clan was just not really present or all that interesting. You know what the show needed,
1: and I think we actually kind of saw this in a weird way. Last week, when we talked about Lost in Space, specifically the original series of Lost in Space, mm. they shot the original pilot of Lost in Space, the Robinsons got Lost in Space, and it was a, it was a disaster movie. Mm. They reshot the pilot to add Dr. Smith, an antagonist, yeah. to give them something to play off of. This needed an antagonist, because mm. Kim Darby is kind of her own antagonist, which can be an interesting tale, mm. but there's it doesn't add any drama because we're supposed to be on her side the whole time.
0: Mm.
1: We needed someone... Who by like the third act was like gonna expose the town? So there's like a, a, yeah. a
0: tension or clock. Well, I mean, someone they di- have to
1: hide from. There was, there was know, a like dying
0: a, child, but that was such a last minute manufactured piece of drama. And everyone, yeah.
1: but here's and no one's like saying, "Yeah, that child should die." There's no one actually like rooting against them. Mm. We needed like. You know, just a, 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 a constant antagonist, like a sheriff or like a, a mayor from a nearby town or like a politician who's trying to find out what's going on, mm. who has less than noble intentions so okay. that so to, to in order to partially in order to justify their isolationism. Mm. Um, and partially just to constantly make things happen <laughs> that's what you need you need someone who can oh, make things happen you know who happen. could have, who
0: could have done that is the Shatner character which yes! would have made him a little richer like he's he's this you know warm veterinarian he gets to wear his cowboy outfit and ride horses the way Shatner always liked to do anyway um what if he you know he's a doctor He's like i discovered these psychic kids i'm going to study them for the intent of exposing them to the world because this is important knowledge to have the rest of the world know. Yes, and the constant conversation would be don't do that today, or I'm going to stop you from doing this particular study. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's stories. he has stories. Or he has like a there.
1: partner if you want to keep making him good. Like maybe mm. he works for a company that or, wants to do well, it and maybe, he's constantly being maybe a go between.
0: He's, he's good and he has a good idea in exposing this to the world. Like what we can learn from these kids can help humanity. This is not going to help no, us keeping us isolated. And that makes an interesting moral conflict.
1: It's an interesting moral conflict. It's not an interesting dramatic conflict because mm. everyone's really nice and polite to each other in that scenario. Mm. You need someone who has a little bit. Because look, we have in the backstory, we see the people being persecuted. Mm. That's a legit thing. People persecuted throughout the history of the world for being different. Yeah. It, it, even and sometimes especially if they're benign. Mm. Um, so why not have at least the threat of a parallel? Like the the idea that we have a legitimate concern that this could happen again now because of X Y Z because of right. this corp company that is investigating mm. because we're this sort of statistical anomaly and they're <sighs> well, investigating just, our water supply I and there are people who are just keeping an eye on the area. I can't
0: picture a villain in this type of scenario that wouldn't be too cartoonish for its own good. It would be like Doctor Smith,
1: but maybe who, you know, Doctor Smith that. is
0: great, but you know, Lost in Space is kind of a broad show. By you want way, this show to be broader? A little bit? Right. I mean, I,
1: I think it could stand it. I think mm-hmm. that would certainly make it more interesting. By the way, have you seen the new Lost in Space? I have. Isn't it good? It's awesome. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's good. really really good. <laughs> Hey, really it.
0: Y- you know who should watch the new Lost in Space? The new Star Trek. Ooh, <laughs> the new Star snap. Trek, and
1: watch the new Lost in Space. Yeah, watch the new Lost in Space. Yeah. It's re- I haven't finished yet. It's really good, though. I'm I, really digging it.
0: I want a new. I want a new Star Trek show. I say the Orville says okay, and Lost in Space says oh us too, and Star Trek says ah f you. <laughs> We're going to do something
1: dumb. Uh, I think we can probably predict where this is going, but was The People canceled too soon? Oh,
0: goodness, no. Yeah. Um, as, as we've said numerous times already, it was an interesting idea. It was just, this is not the show to explore that idea.
1: No. There's a very hmm. turgid, hmm. bland...
0: Not not this cast, not this yeah. filming. Well, not this... I can see
1: Kim Darby. I like Kim Darby. Well, maybe... I, th- I think with better material, she would have been fine. You,
0: if you wanted to bring this to series, you'd have to just restart it fresh with a new crew and a new screenplay. I and agree just do with another that, pilot, I, I think you can
1: keep Kim Darby. I've always been a big yeah, fan yeah. of Kim Darby. I think she's very talented. Mm. And I totally buy her as this... Um, young, righteous outrage teacher mm-hmm. who's like trying to protect kids from overprotective parents. But I find c- her as Only that. in
0: certain scenes. Other scenes, she seems like this shrinking violet who can't stand up to anybody. But that's the so, material.
1: They're uh, literally asking her to be two completely different things at once. Yeah, yeah. And she's doing the best she can with some shitty fucking material. And mm-hmm. we've all seen... True, great. We've all seen her be great. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? The TV movie she was in?
0: Oh, uh, no. I haven't seen that. That movie
1: is fucking brilliant. Yeah. That's a brilliant... Horror movie about, like, that sort of uh, uh, men pushing back. Against feminism in the 1970s? Mm. And here's a woman who is saying something and no one believes her. And it is terrifying because we know she's right. And all the men are going, no, 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 no. You're not one of those women's livers, are you? Housewife. (laughs) Housewife. And you're watching this and you're shaking your fist. Like, come on! Like, it's so
0: suspenseful. Remember in Baffled where she says, oh, and I I believe women should be equal. I'm very, very strong. And feminist views, feminist views. And uh, Leonard Nimoy says, you're not one of those... Feminists are you? And she says, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm not. <laughs> I'm not one of those feminists. Yeah. Never mind that her entire, her entire ethos. Oh, yeah, her ethos is feminism. Yeah. Like, just don't be... it was a dirty word at a certain point. Don't
1: be afraid of the dark. Tackles that in a very nerve wracking way. Right. It's really, really good. Like the worst thing you can say about it is that the monsters are not quite as scary as they could be <laughs> once you start seeing them. Like, aren't they sock puppets in they... that movie? No, they look like mole people. Like uh, they're okay, but like." It's, it's like the difference I saw the remake I didn't see the, the TV Remake's okay movie. I like yeah. the remake But like This one's so much more Like just Fascinating mm. And I feel like if you If you had taken the monsters From the remake And put them in the original It would have been so much better it's, it's like the difference Between the William Shatner Nightmare at, at 20,000 feet uh-huh. uh Episode of Twilight Zone The man on the wing of the plane You watch that Classic episode of television And it's great uh, but the monster I'm, looks like a guy wearing a shag carpet uh, yeah, costume yeah. and then you see the George Miller version in Twilight Zone the movie and the monster is fucking terrifying
0: because didn't uh, somebody famous monster maker I think Rick Baker did that monster uh, yeah, someone just did this really big Stan big Winston
1: someone like that it's a great monster yeah. in the movie I, I got and to in, hear the, an in, the in the show yeah. you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a lot
0: I, I got to hear an interview with uh with Richard Matheson, who wrote the original episode, ah, and uh, and he said that yeah, I I actually prefer the Shatner version because Shatner is a regular guy who goes crazy. Whereas in the movie, it's about a crazy guy who just goes crazier. But uh, it's John Lithgow, it's, and he
1: sells it so well. It's, and it's
0: George Miller, so he's just swinging the camera around, and know. everything's just lo- noisy. I um,
1: appreciate both versions. I think they're both really good.
0: But he said that, yeah, the monster was a big problem. He said it looked like a panda bear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't, a little bit. He, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't like the, the fact that there's a panda bear on the wing of the plane. But
1: yeah, I like both versions. I think I slightly give the edge to George Miller's version just because he knows how good. to make that shit intense. It's so fucking great. <laughs> Oh my god! I st- I still think of that yeah, he, when I'm on an airplane. He can
0: like, make he can make a playtex bra ad intense. He can do anything, <laughs> that guy. Um, cross your heart
1: and hope to die. Oh, my God, <laughs> the people. So listen, thank you very much. Uh, Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say one thing right now. I love our Patreon subscribers. Every and single I, one of them. And I have to say that, otherwise, they'll keep giving us stuff like the people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I love what you choose. No, I'm you kidding, are man. forcing us to explore little sticky back alleys, and it's our job to put on those hazmat suits and see what's in <laughs> that dirty closet. And we appreciate that you're
1: you're pointing us to the right closets. It's, it's a very very interesting journey mm-hmm. we are all on, and I thank you very very much. Uh, the poll for next month. Uh, is a little different, because what we're going to... Should we tell them what we're going to do next month? Sure. Why not? We can can say now. We have one more episode coming in pilot season, and we're going to be reviewing the pilot for a very bizarre sci-fi series that would have aired in the 1990s starring Neil McDonough from Legends of Tomorrow called White Dwarf.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell them
1: a little bit about White Dwarf. Oh, <laughs> can I? White Dwarf
0: uh, was maybe, I guess it's an early uh, precursor to steampunk. Mm. Um, it's this science fiction takes place on a distant planet where things are futuristic by Victorian at the same time. They're overseen by like this big troll monster and there's like warring castle based factions mm-hmm. but and neil mostly McDon- it's about doctors yeah neil mcdonough plays a, a surgeon who has magical gloves that allow him to essentially faith heal he like reaches into your abdomen with his bare hands and just pulls out the the negative bits
1: it's a weird weird idea for it like it doesn't really have a hook yeah like, there's no like oh i know how to explain this like mm-hmm. i don't know how to explain white and, dwarf and i've oh, been wanting to do white dwarf for a while so and
0: the people get caught for like Major crimes, but instead of being executed, they're granted immortality, and that's like the worst crime, like the worst punishment you can suffer on this planet surrounding a White Dwarf star. So
1: White Dwarf is going to be the last uh, episode proper Mm. of the show that we do before the Cancel Too Soon Awards, and then once White Dwarf is over, so that you can include that in your voting, we were going to take one week off Mm. to allow for your votes... Uh, We are going to have the Cancel Too Soon Awards. We are going to uh, pick the best, worst, craziest, uh, most amazing theme song, like everything that we've done throughout the year. But Mm we're going to invite everyone, our Patreon subscribers and our listeners who can't afford to uh, help out with the show alike, to vote for their favorite episodes of Cancel Too Soon this last year. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to pick two winners uh, in a random drawing Mm -hmm. out of the people who vote. Uh, the grand prize winner is going to get to pick a show For us to review in the month of June
0: uh, all, And all we need Is it for, to, it for it to fit our rules It
1: needs to fit our rules and we need to be able to find it Those mm. are the only two things Otherwise we can't put up a fuss mm-hmm. it's, we, We'll do it uh, and then the second place winner will get to force us to do the cancel too soon monthly movie of their choice mm-hmm. in June. And if the person we pick isn't a Patreon subscriber, mm-hmm. uh, we will at least mail you the episode. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so if, so you'll at least get the episode that you that you want. <laughs> um, so that's that that's what will go on. But also in May after pilot season, we are coming up on our 100th episode. Isn't that amazing? It's super, super exciting. And we were like, "What should we do for the 100th episode?" And we were like, "Oh, we should do like the show we get asked to do the most." And then we realized we get asked to do a bunch of shows the most. Mm-hmm. So we are going to have a countdown of the three most requested shows mm. that we get. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to for the last spot because we couldn't. We haven't been super scientific about it. There's like a bunch of different shows. We're going to basically give our Patreon subscribers. Their choice of one of our most requested shows. Yeah. And the top two are, are a surprise. <laughs> Possibly. You could probably predict them if you've been paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you've, you've probably suggested it.
1: So uh, stick up. We haven't uh, finalized what the, uh, what the mm-hmm. options are going to be on that poll, but stick around because on the Patreon poll, patreon.com slash canceled too soon, mm-hmm. uh, you are soon going to be able to pick a series for us to vote on, which will be one of the most famous cancel too soon <laughs> shows mm-hmm. uh, around. So it's a big, uh, big, big stuff is coming. Spoiler: It's not Firefly. Uh, still, Firefly is still Firefly,
0: Firefly is still a carrot we're dangling in front of you. Yeah,
1: was what, it like 250 uh, subscribers?
0: We, yeah, we're, we've gotten a lot of subscribers recently. So Thank thanks, you. thanks for all our, uh, to all of our new subscribers. You, you guys, are great. You guys are all. I mean, you're all really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you've been with us from the beginning. Some of you are brand new. But we've been getting a lot of subscribers. Uh, as soon as we hit 250, we've promised to do Firefly. Not just Firefly, but one full episode per episode of Firefly. Yeah.
1: And also, uh, in May, mm. when we uh, kick off year three of Cancel Too Soon, we're going to make some uh, small alterations to our Patreon perks um, in order to give you some stuff with a bit more regularity, Yeah, and also to give you stuff that you specifically ask for. You're going to be able to assign us mm. stuff to do, Yeah, um, and it's not just a podcast, it's going to be uh, so we, uh, some we can, interesting ideas. We, we can interact a little bit more. Yeah, we want to give you uh, 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 more, and we realized over the this first year that we've been doing patreon that it is a lot more consistent and effective for us to offer content
0: mm-hmm. as
1: opposed to product yeah uh so we're going to be making more of a shift in that direction but don't worry there will still be product available so uh thank you everybody for listening uh, should we
0: read some letters before we go Let's read or? some letters
1: before we go uh our email is canceled too soon mm-hmm. at gmail.com remember canceled always has one l Mm. Um, And
0: away we go Uh, Here's a letter from Adam Hello Adam Hello Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney Some time ago, I wrote in to your other podcast, Critically Acclaimed, to ask about an anime movie that could be a gateway to Japanese culture for my six-year-old niece. Both of you suggested My Neighbor Totoro. Last weekend, I screened it to Sylvia, as well as to her four-year-old brother and sister, and they were all simply awed. Nowadays, you rarely see even a child be so filled with amazement and wonder, so I wanted to let you know that you made my three little children very happy.
1: That makes me exceptionally (laughs) happy. I, I wonder sometimes, like, are we just throwing content off a cliff. Like, is that <laughs> all we're doing half the time? And just knowing that, like, someone well, had, a, like, a magical night because we helped recommend a movie, mm-hmm. that makes me really happy. Thank you for telling yeah. us Yeah, we,
0: we want to give ki- uh, recommendations for kids that do more than just keep them in front of the television while you do the dishes or something, <laughs> <laughs> which I know is a very valuable function. I have a three-year-old, but uh, he's just three, too. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's great that you can actually enrich children that way. Um, sticking to nice topics what makes me happy is listening to you guys talk oh well it's a good thing because we do that a lot Uh, (laughs) whether it's what we do (laughs) whether it's a bad day at work or a long business trip when I listen to you I always feel more like I'm at home no matter where I actually am your knowledge and passion is inspiring as well as your diligence I live on the other side of the globe so you would think I would go to sleep when you wake up and vice versa but no you guys tweet and record at some really crazy hours (laughs) so I get a boost to work harder every time I see a tweet of yours written in what I suppose 2 a.m. L.A. time Uh, yeah we're up late yeah i I work nights over the weekends so yeah i might be tweeting at 3 a.m who knows what uh I think that one of the main reasons why every episode of any podcast you record is so engaging is your wonderful chemistry and friendship. Aww. I've never had a friend for longer than a couple of years. <laughs> so here's my question to you guys. How do you keep your friendship alive and well, especially after working with each other for countless hours? What's your secret? Is there a recipe for success? Heartfully yours, Adam. What's Jesus this?
1: Christ, I don't know.
0: Uh, well, we uh, we allow each other to like strangle one another occasionally. That helps. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's, a, it's like spy versus spy. Mm. Uh, we're constantly murdering each other. No, I don't know. Like, I think... <sighs> You know what You know what it is? Because, like, I, I think it's a fair point. You talk about how you cycle through friends every few years. And mm. I've had, like, best friends who oh. I don't talk to anymore. And I mean as an adult. Um, and it's not that I wish them ill. It's just we fell apart. They mm. moved. took another interest. We stopped hanging out so much. And then we're Facebook friends. But I mm. haven't Facebooked them in so long they no longer show up on my feed. Like, that's, <laughs> that happens. And oh. that's unfortunate. And that's part of life. I've learned uh, like it's adult people, adult life. Well adult life. You know, the older I get, the more mm. uh I, I find that you can be totally you can be totally in love with your friends and just think they're yeah. the most wonderful people ever. And you can see them twice a year and that's okay because yeah, we're all yeah. busy.
0: It's With, it's not like in high school where you see each other every weeknight. You know, it's yeah. it's yeah yeah. Adult friendships are are difficult to maintain, yeah. and uh, it kind of helps that we've put ourselves in this position where we're forced to see each other. Exactly, every, that like was every, what it was leading into. Every day or every other day. Structure. Yeah.
1: Like we have a thing we do together. It's basically like if this is. I mean, listen. We Patreon is is really helping us maintain this and be able to dedicate time to this. But like, this is the kind of thing you and I would probably do as a hobby, regardless. Yeah, just like for if, fun. If
0: we were just starting, like, if we were nineteen in twenty eighteen and we, like
1: we were just starting out on the podcast world, yeah, we'd probably still be doing this. But basically, the point is, we make time for each other, mm-hmm. and then we do it through the podcast. So like, we hang out like pretty much every Saturday morning to review mm-hmm. critically acclaimed, and then we hang out. During the day on Tuesday or Wednesday every week to do cancel too soon and in the middle of it we do we text each other about our projects and, <laughs> and then we go see movies together yeah so like we basically we've so, come up with an activity that we have to constantly do and um, I think that's the secret for uh, us. up next we're
0: we're gonna be married
1: pretty soon <laughs> <laughs> to each other <laughs> to this each time. to each other this time. Ooh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which but I think no. a lot of people suspect it anyway.
1: But no, like I find like these kinds of activities, like you know, as you get older and as like mm. work takes more pro- more priority or family takes more priority in your case, you have mm. to make the time for stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. having a sense of structure is yeah. not when you're a kid. You think structure is the opposite of play. Yeah, and what you realize is that recess needs to be scheduled, or you uh-huh. would never do anything else.
0: As, as somebody who is raising a toddler, yeah, yeah, um, yeah it, it can't just be chaos. And unfortunately, the trade-off is you know you or I don't have time to just sort of sit around and watch the movies we want mm. too often anymore. Like if we watch something we want, it's kind of a rare treat. Last night, I stayed up late watching music videos from the 1980s with my wife, and it was great hmm. because we have Night Flight on our, the streaming service. Uh, the Night Flight streaming service is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just spent, like, two, two and a half hours watching music videos, and it was pretty special. Um, and, yeah, th- those moments, sadly, are, are fewer and far between when your world is kind of overwhelmed by structure. But uh, it helps when you're a grown-up. Mm. Um, Sorry to bore the younger
1: listeners. No, but listen, this yeah. is going to happen. I think mm-hmm. a lot of advice mm-hmm. that I got when I was a kid, mm-hmm. or, or words of wisdom, or axioms, or, or, or hell mm-hmm. you know, cliches. Yeah. People tell me, early bird gets the worm, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do those things when you're young. However, when mm-hmm. you're older, and through the benefit of experience, you realize that they now have value, mm-hmm. they're already in your head. <laughs> and you realize oh shit they were right and yeah. it's easier to sort of accept them rather than slowly come to terms because <laughs> you realize oh shit no i really do need to get up earlier and get things done because yeah, yeah. the day will get away from you the more distractions you have
0: there's there's a reason your parents woke up at five and went to bed at nine it actually works really well for a working <laughs> life <laughs> i wish i could do it uh, I can, here's yeah here's another letter from uh are, are, are we done or can i, move no, on? I do one okay. more here's another letter uh, from thomas Uh, I'm just listening to your home game pilot, and it brought back memories of when you talked about remote control. I was a
1: contestant.
0: Yay! And apparently, uh, if you do a Google mine for it, you can uh, find a still uh, active website about remote control that features my episode.
1: Uh, If anyone doesn't remember, we talked about it on the Cancel to Soon the Home Game Mm. bonus pilot, which was all about um, if that gets picked up, we'll review Game, game shows that are yeah. no longer uh, in existence and one of the shows we talked about, in terms of we'd like to get to it, was a MTV game show called Remote Control, which was all TV trivia and like recognizing random clips from TV shows. Yeah, It was a really fun show. Yeah. Anyway, it's really uh, cool to, to get because people, a lot of people, yeah. do contestants on game shows. Yeah. Uh, let's see, my nerves from being on
0: camera resulted in me behaving like an over-caffeinated sugar-rushing 10-year-old who clicked on the buzzer, buzzer prematurely twice. Still, I got to meet Colin Quinn, who uh, my friends told me I was I was a fan of because he made sure to talk to me. Told him he was a fan of. Yeah, told him he was a fan of. Uh, yeah. Dennis Leary and Adam Sandler I met them too back when the, they were just doing stand up. I consider it my personal moment of public shame. No matter what my friends say.
1: Oh well, we think you're cool.
0: And when I was a little kid, Don Adams Screen Test was one of my favorite shows. Yeah,
1: that was another game show we yeah. talked about where Don Adams from Get Smart mm-hmm. brought like normal people in to do scenes for movies with yeah, famous uh, people.
0: I probably won't be hearing this letter read. I am way poor and cannot join Patreon, but I'll still be listening to Cancel Too Soon within uh, seconds of a new episode
1: dropping. Well, Thomas. you heard your letter. And also uh, worth noting in uh, Thomas's uh, headline, mm-hmm. uh, the headline was dot, 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 and the Mariners are a baseball team. Um, uh, yeah <laughs> we, we don't know our sports as uh, everyone who listened to our episode about pitch <laughs> really wanted us to know um which is fine which is oh. fine I made my choices mm. um but yeah we 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 thought the Mariners were a football team. We were thinking of the Dolphins. Mm. So, uh, uh we're not crazy, we're just wrong.
0: Right. <laughs> and that's especially embarrassing cuz I went to college in Washington. Oh, I sh- you I should know that traitor. stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're terrible. Uh,
0: one more letter. or the <laughs> no, one oh, last yeah, letter. Well, here's a letter from Hayden. Hello. Hi. I I know this show wasn't canceled, but even though some say it should have stopped after one season, but I just caught up on season 1 of True Detective ah. on recommendation of my English teacher. My worry is that the show would be overhyped and uh, uh, to a certain extent, it was, but by the end, I still loved it. I loved how the show developed both of the main characters. The show struck a perfect struck a perfect balance between uh, them being total opposites while being similar at the same time. Without giving anything away, I feel very satisfied by the satisfied by the end. Looking back on everything, the show, uh, the ending of the show fits it rather well. After I was done with the show, I've read many interpretations of the show's meaning. These range from the show being about a brutal masculinity to being about a contemplation of religion. My personal reading is that the show is about looking into the abyss and finding catharsis. We all have those moments where the only way to find answers uh, to is to go through total darkness. My biggest problem with the show is a problem I have with a lot of HBO shows is the excessive nudity. Uh, Certain sequences felt like the show was dropping dead to have an overtly explicit sex scene. What are your thoughts on True Detective?
1: Okay, uh, well, I didn't see season two like Mm -hmm. most people. Uh, but I did see season one and I think season one is a brilliant season of television okay I really have you seen it Nope, not a (laughs) frame. It's fantastic. It's a story of two detectives, uh, a somewhat uh, loquacious, everyday, kind of familiar detective played by Woody Harrelson, and a very bizarre, introverted, almost disturbingly philosophical detective played by Matthew McConaughey. And they're investigating a series of mysterious murders which Mm -hmm. may have a cult overtone. Wasn't Colin Farrell in the show, too? Uh, He was in season two. The the idea is each season would be different people. okay. Um, so season one was about these two very dis- disparate personalities uh, yeah. tackling a very disturbing series of crimes and how this changes them in a variety of ways over the years. Yeah, um, it's brilliantly written. It is exceptionally well uh, directed and shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was dramatically undone by its own hype because people Um, kind of like heroes a little bit but even worse if you ask me because what happened with true detective was people were so obsessed with it that they started building up all this online anticipation and all this speculation and all these theories about what's really really happening and everyone started like jumping on board these theories and thinking oh it's gonna be lovecraftian and they're gonna be monsters by the end Mm -hmm. i'm like no. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's about be, true detectives. <laughs> I don't know why that was so hard for Lovecraftian you. Lovecraftian monsters. It's got Lovecraftian vibes, because right. it's about people who are ostensibly intelligent delving further and further into the unknown, but the unknown is just sort of the depths of horror in the human soul. So mm. I get the vibe. And okay. there's actually, like, a reference to... um. A literary work that actually inspired Lovecraft, so I get why people thought that oh, was a thing. Okay. However, mm-hmm. they never told you it was a supernatural show. <laughs> they never told you it was a horror show. It was always a philosophical detective show. And by when by the end of the season, which I thought ended rather well, mm. um, there are things I wish had been wrapped up a little better, or maybe had been explored a little better. But by the end of the season, when it's basically just and then it turns out it was this, mm. I was like, cool. And everyone else was just like, well, that sucks. We thought it was going to be huge. And I'm like, that's your fault. <laughs> and I think we really need to, I, There's a great rumor I heard. I don't know how true this is. It was like on a Reddit board about Westworld Season 2 and everyone's trying to figure out what's going to happen in Season 2. And someone allegedly from the production of Westworld uh, had said, here's the thing. Mm. The fan theories about Westworld Season 1 were so prevalent and ultimately, because you're observant, so accurate that they were functionally spoilers and you kind of hurt the storytelling in the first season because you picked up on it so fast that it couldn't unfold naturally Mm. and everyone got impatient and the show suffered for it. Wow. And that's true. And that sucks. So what they said was, so here's what we're thinking of doing. We're just going to list in like a Google Doc every plot point from season two. Okay. Like right off the bat If you want it It's right there No more speculation And if you do want it After that You'll know what's a spoiler And what's not And you will hopefully Help us guard it From people who don't Want to know Okay Because that's what Happened with Game of Thrones Everyone's like Oh what's going to happen In season three Of Game of Thrones Everyone read the books Like well we know Yeah <laughs> But they weren't going On Twitter and ruining it For everybody mm at least not on mass, i'm sure it happened but like for the most part everyone's mm-hmm. like no one ruined the red wedding everyone yeah. was everyone was still a surprise so
0: i'm i'm in a weird position where i have to bite my tongue about the infinity gauntlet um, because i know who dies
1: <laughs> in the comics <laughs> well yeah in the comics yeah. but like how the, come, they, how it's not a faithful how, adaptation yeah, Everything I suppose could, not. could change How come
0: is but- not on the poster well in the comics he blinks out of existence quite literally like in the first 3 pages <laughs> of the comic he's just sort of he doesn't even die just he's just
1: gone Again, that's the comic, though, and Marvel's been pretty fast and loose with their adaptation, so that might be entirely different. But, yeah, that's interesting, and I think True Detective was a victim of that, not just of its own popularity, but uh, this Internet culture that tries to predict everything, and we got really in love with our own theories about what True Detective was going to be, Mm -hmm. and it ruined what True Detective was, which was really good in its own right. (laughs) It just wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And that's frustrating for me. Uh,
0: the only thing I can comment on, and because I've seen this just over the the years of HBO's original programming, they brag about how much nudity they can get away with. <laughs> that was their, their selling point. Yeah, that, that was their, their one selling point: and nudity. They, a lot of violence, a lot of nudity, and cussing. And they started. It's like they were getting studio notes, we need more nudity and more cussing. So like they would have to reshoot scenes where they cuss more and it feels really unnatural. Like I've seen a few scenes from uh, that show Deadwood. Oh yeah. And just every like they're flinging out the F word left and right. I think they said it like 173 times per episode or it's something. It's like the and,
1: raison d'être of Deadwood, which was a good show, don't get mm. me wrong, but it feels like a lot of it was basically just like we're not your grandparents' western. Yeah. We know. Just get on with it. Can you tell a story
0: maybe that requires cussing rather than just cussing a lot and yeah, every time there's there's a, a nudity shot in any HBO series it's like look at the moves. We can do this cuz we're not network te- you've been doing original programming for 15 years. We
1: get it oh, now. Longer than 15. I've been yeah. for like 20- Twenty-five now, at least. Uh, what, like Tales from the Crypt. I mean, that was um, early yeah, '90s. I'm, I'm guessing.
0: I'm trying to think of like when like the the big revolution finally happened, and that was around The Sopranos. The
1: revolution was Oz, and then The Sopranos. Yeah. But they've been making original programming. Much of it sold on its own prurience, like Tales Dream from the Crypt on, and Dream on.
0: Yeah. Tales from the Crypt and Dream Dream on. on. Hey, but you want to see a thing-
1: generic sitcom with lots of nudity? Maybe. I, but is it, for, it good? It's all right.
0: All right. Tales from the Crypt <laughs> never pretended to be anything other than entirely lurid. That was the point of that show. It, uh, the Sopranos and you know Deadwood and all the rest of these are are kind of trying to tell these more legitimate long form stories with just a lot of this extra prurient stuff jammed in where it doesn't necessarily need to be. Right. So uh, yeah, it kind, of, kind of cheapens a lot of the show. I think
1: oh, that's a fair point. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think I, again, I never saw True Detective season two. I just, because it was self-contained, because the reviews were so bad, because I didn't have to watch it for work, I lost a little interest. Mm-hmm. I actually do plan to get to it at some point, because I hear it's not as bad as all that. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, season one was fucking fantastic, so that's my take on that. So, okay. anyway, uh, that's it for Cancelled Too Soon. Thanks for writing in, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Uh, you can write us in at soon at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also follow us on Twitter at canceled cast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Don't forget, you can also you can also listen to us every week on the critically acclaimed podcast on the Schmoes No iTunes mm. feed or the SK Plus YouTube channel. We are on Patreon.com/slash Canceled Too Soon. If you want to mm-hmm. contribute, vote for future episodes, uh, get some uh, bonus content as well, uh, pick up whatever bonus pilot our Patreon subscribers vote for and listen to that on a regular basis once the pilot season is over. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget to stick around because you're going to have an opportunity to make your voice heard, tell us what your favorite episode is of the show this uh, last year, and also potentially force us to review the TV show or TV movie slash special mm. slash miniseries of your choice. A lot of cool stuff going on here. <laughs> uh, and It's all uh, very exciting. It's very exciting, and that yet is a wrap. We'll see you next season. We'll